This is the Quantum Tech Pod, brought to you by Inside Quantum Technology, covering industry analysis, data, and market forecasting for quantum technology markets worldwide. Now, here's your host, Christopher Bishop. Hello, everybody, and welcome to the Quantum Tech Pod. I'm delighted that you're listening. Good morning, good afternoon, good evening, depending on where you're sitting on the planet. My guest today is Tony Utley. He's the president and chief operating officer of Continuum. Tony founded Honeywell Quantum Solutions and served as its president before the creation of Continuum. Prior to Honeywell, Tony was a principal at Boston Consulting Group. And for 10 years prior to BCG, he held management and engineering positions with NASA at the Johnson Space Center in Houston, Texas. Tony earned an MBA from the Kellogg School of Management at Northwestern University and has a BS in mechanical engineering from the University of Minnesota. His company, Continuum, is science-led and enterprise-driven. It unites Cambridge Quantum's best-in-class quantum software with Honeywell Quantum Solutions' high-performing trapped-ion hardware. The company is focused on scaling quantum computing and developing applications today to solve the world's most pressing challenges. So welcome, Tony, and thanks for joining me. Thank you so much for having me. Pleasure to be here. So I like to start the podcast by asking my guests to share a bit about their own personal quantum journey. And my objective is twofold. I want to certainly give our audience a sense of what you did before Continuum. It looks like lots of interesting things. But also to orient our listeners more broadly to the fact that there are many ways and various paths that people have taken to get into the field of quantum information science. So please share with our listeners a bit of your background, path so far, maybe where you grew up, detail on where you went to school, what you study, and certainly any insight into the companies or organizations where you worked. So I grew up in in Minnesota, which is uh, actually convenient because Quantinuum has a location. In fact, I'm sitting in there now about four miles away from where I actually spent most of my my youth. Um, So it kind of came full circle back to here. You know, my, my original degree was mechanical engineering, and so I like to kind of joke that now I'm a quantum mechanical engineer. But, um, but I, I then have to stop joking and say, you know, the, the physicists and scientists and engineers who are, are a part of Quantinium here put me to shame in terms of my technical capability. Yeah, I had a, look, a fabulous background um, in terms of spending a decade at NASA at the Johnson Space Center, I wanted to be an astronaut when I was a kid. I was, really? So I saw the movie um, uh, "The Right Stuff," and uh-huh. I was like, "That's it. That's what I want to go do." <laughs> wow. You know, and you know how most kids, like a week later, they want to be something else. Nope. I uh, I had my head set on that. I went and you know did my engineering degree. Got a chance to be a, a co-op student at. Uh, at NASA the Johnson Space Center, and then ended up being able to wonderfully spend a decade uh, as a part of the human spaceflight program. And w- where I worked at NASA was um, where astronauts get trained how to do spacewalks. So it's a, a wow. very yeah. large tank of water called the Neutral yes. Laboratory. I've seen that giant pool where they're floating around with all the gear in there and like a yeah. replica of the space station. And oh my goodness. So, so just prior to leaving NASA, I was I was the operations manager there at that facility, and, mm, and it was great. It was cool. a part of of being able to to get a foundation of of how science and how engineering is put into practice in some of these incredible ways. Um, I, I then took that to 
to consulting, uh, management consulting of all things. So I, I spent uh, about seven years with the Boston Consulting Group in offices within the United States and Europe. And my work there really focused on what I called engineered products. So it could have been industrial goods, it could have been med tech, it could have been consumer durables, but it was always, there was always an engineering component behind the products, the offerings that were being sold by those companies. And, uh, and then I came into Honeywell in 2010 as the, the head of marketing and strategy for Honeywell's biggest division at the time. It was about an $18 billion revenue division of Honeywell. Yikes. And, and I had, it turned out, a group of people that were scientists that worked for me in that role, and they were developing all of this incredible technology. And it was technology that when you, when you hear it on its face, you understand it individually. So they were working on, on ultra high vacuum systems and they were working on cryogenic systems and they were working on magnetic field systems and they were working on photonics and laser systems and uh, RF, so radio frequency systems. And so each of those things individually very high technology, kind of leading in the industry. But it turns out when you put all of those things together, the thing you can go build is a quantum computer. And, and so that was first ideated in, in late 2010 and started, you know, myself and certainly Honeywell on this journey of creating, designing, developing, and then launching trapped ion quantum computers. Wow. Fascinating. So, the logical segue is I think our listeners would really like to get your perspective on, you know, how Continuum came to be, right? How did Honeywell Quantum Solutions and Cambridge Quantum come together to form this amazing company? Um, how was it created? You know, my suggestion was maybe you and Ilias had a conversation over dinner or. Was yeah, there... well, not, not too far off. Um, <laughs> okay. You know, we, so as Honeywell Quantum Solutions, we had developed and released uh, these incredible quantum computers to the world and had a chance, an opportunity really to be interacting with the ecosystem globally. And all of these companies who were looking at developing uh, applications and operating system layers and products that would really ultimately sit on top of these quantum computers and what you could go do, and we got a chance to interact with all of these companies in the ecosystem. And one that we just kept on interacting with and kept on um, differentiating itself, and we had this commonality, was Cambridge Quantum Computing. Uh, and, and you mentioned Ilias. You know, so Ilias Khan was the founder of, of Cambridge Quantum. Got a chance to interact with him early on, as well as the team, and really... That second part is actually more important than the first part. Having our two teams of scientists and engineers work collaboratively together for years got a sense of, okay, you guys have the real goods. And the you guys in that sentence were both teams saying that of the other team. And at some point we realized we really could have something here if we put this together. And so, yes, you know, a few dinners involved and then a lot of, uh, a lot of, uh, business planning to, to think about combining this and forming Quantinuum. Yeah, but what a great message that the teams were sort of mutually uh, respectful and admiring of each other's work. That's a great 
story. Wow. I mean, and really foundational. They, uh, you know, people think of me as a technical founder, but that's not true. Um, and, and same thing with Ilias. We're not technical founders. We are founders, you know, in, I mean, he really is founders without quotes. I'm founder with air quotes. But the reality is it's these teams of incredible people that have been able to do these audacious things. And, and you just, you realize that your job is to get resources for them, to, to make, make the task slightly less impossible. <laughs> yeah, and, then, yeah. and then just wait for them to go do what they do, which is, uh, which is just incredible to watch. Yeah, no, terrific. So I've heard Quantunium described in the press as, say, the apple of quantum computing, meaning you guys bring to market quantum hardware, software, and services in this integrated portfolio in a way that really nobody does. So it puts you in a unique, unique position to provide value. So tell me more about this sort of go-to-market and how you leverage this, uh, you know, wide-ranging portfolio. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's hard not to like that comparison, right? Um, yeah, for sure. But <laughs> the intent there, and I, I, I do, I like it, and it's right in that we have, we have four parts of our company that when you think about kind of the last, I'll say, 60 years of classical computing – where all the value creation happened in that classical computing, you know, set of six decades, it was around four areas, hardware, operating system, software applications, cyber. And Quantinuum puts all four of those things together in the same company for quantum computing. And what happens as a result is then you can take this really intuitive from the fingertip of the customer all the way through, I'll say, the stack to the hardware itself and back to just get the most out of it. Just optimize absolutely that whole kind of solution and that whole experience on behalf of our, our customers. And so that is, I, I do like the analogy from that standpoint because that is what we envision doing and that is what we've built in this set of products and in the stack. Now, at the same time, describe ourselves as being platform inclusive. And what that means is we absolutely use as a company, other people's quantum computers. In fact, we're one of the largest users of IBM's quantum computers in the world. And we also have designed our stack to integrate in other people's software applications, other, other companies and, and uh, organizations in the ecosystem, because we really think of ourselves as a center of gravity to be able to help accelerate literally the entire industry forward at a pace that then everybody can participate in. Yeah. So, so not just trapped ions. So other qubit modalities, I mean, IBM is obviously superconducting. Uh, that's pretty impressive. Uh, yeah. And, and the reason we do it in this era the scarcest resource that exists in all of quantum computing is the human resource by a yeah. lot. And yeah. we happen to have 500 experts in quantum computing. And what experts in quantum computing know is that if you're looking at some particular use case, it might be the superconducting hardware, which is the best hardware to use to do the work on that particular use case. But on a different use case, we would say our own H-series hardware is the best to use. And we know the difference between the two. 
And we actually have a future view that says, it's not just a one of these technologies is going to win. It is that we think we're going to see certain, I'll call them quantum processing units, QPUs, that will be useful for different tasks. So you may even have the same, let's call it the same problem, the same algorithm that you chunk into parts. And one part of it gets done on a superconducting quantum computer. Another part of the same problem gets done on a trapped ion quantum computer. And the rest of it gets done classically. And it's really stitching all of that together in this hybrid heterogeneous approach, which we think is going to accelerate how fast quantum computing is useful. So, Tony, that's brilliant. I haven't really heard many, maybe if any, execs in your role describe that sort of scenario, that landscape, if you will. But I think it makes perfect sense. I mean, even HPC, right, will have a role as part of this sort of heterogeneous quantum environment, if you will, right? Uh, Absolutely. That's that's the thing is that we're not going to see quantum computers do Excel anytime soon, right? (laughs) This is not the... There are things that classical computers do exceptionally well, and that is not the same things that quantum computers do well. And so, you know, just starting with that frame of mind to say each of these pieces are going to be specialized to do what they do really well is kind of a foundational piece. And then for us as Quantinuum, we just happen to have access to all of these things, right? So if, if all you have access to is one technology, then you kind of have to force yourself to believe that, well, that's the one that's going to have to win. But we we see everybody's and we know what they are good at and we know how to get the most out of them. And when you have that kind of exposure, you really get a sense for how are you going to be able to you know put the pieces of this together to get the most out of it? Yeah. So let's talk tech a little bit and sort of IBM is somewhat the segue, but Um, I want to talk to you about quantum volume. Uh, For listeners who may not know, quantum volume is a benchmark introduced by IBM in 2019 as a way to measure the performance of a quantum computer using randomized circuits, and it's a metric frequently used across the industry. Now, you, Continuum, announced at the IEEE event uh, last week that you'd achieved a quantum volume measurement of 8192, which in and of itself is noteworthy. It's also the second time this year you guys published a new QV record. So wanted to get your sense of, uh, from a technical standpoint, you describe arbitrary angle gates playing a role in this achievement. And then more broadly, what does it represent in terms of delivering value? I'll try to not go too uh, <laughs> the- as, I, as I answer here. Okay. Um, I, I'll start with the, the benchmark. So quantum volume, as you, as you say, was first uh, proposed by IBM. And we believe in it philosophically as Quantinuum because two reasons. One is it is a really hard, challenging, but very measurable uh, benchmark, meaning it, you know, it, it, how you do it forces you to do a whole bunch of random circuits. And the random circuits in that particular regard are important because it means that you can't, I'll say in air quotes, cheat. You can't cheat the system by, I'll, I'm going to gear my entire quantum computer to be really specialized for this. In fact, it just does these these kind of arbitrary circuits as it goes through. Um, But what quantum volume, and I like even the name, I'm going to simplify what it does for a second. So I mean, this is illustrative, this isn't precise, but you think about a cube, 
and what drives those three axes of a cube. One axis is how, how connected are the qubits, right? So qubits are the foundation of a quantum computer. They're the quantum bit that we call a qubit. And as you try to interact a quantum computer, you interact these qubits and how you can do that, meaning can every qubit in the system talk to every other qubit in the system arbitrarily is, is what we call connected. And there are, there are kind of modalities of that anywhere from one dimensional connectivity. I can only talk to the, to the qubit that is either before me or behind me. There's two dimensional, which is I can talk to a qubit that is to the left of me, to the right of me, in front of me and behind me, or something that we call fully connected, which is any qubit can talk to any other qubit uh, at any time. And so that is what drives one of those axes of the volume. Another axis gets driven by how many qubits do you have? You know, is it 10 qubits, is it 20 qubits, is it 100 qubits? And then the third axis is your error. So basically how high, uh, we call it fidelity, do you have? It's, I think the, the layman's term is probably more like accuracy. How accurate is your system, right? Out of a thousand tries, how many times do you get it right? And, and we are living in a technology where that's never going to be every time. That's, that's part of what makes quantum computing valuable is that this is a probabilistic science. And therefore, thinking about, you know, 9,999 times out of 10,000 is that's a really challenging thing to go do. But each of those pieces of that volume matter. So I can add qubits, but if I don't improve my fidelity, I don't get any benefit from it. Same thing with if I, if I have a certain limited kind of connectivity, I'm going to be limited to a certain amount. But what we found is that as we pushed our technology, as we actually made improvements to both the number of qubits and to the accuracy, this fidelity, then we ended up getting the benefit in terms of performance. Our customers had the benefit in terms of performance. And the way you measure that was quantum volume. And so if, if we kind of rewind the clock here a little bit, in March of 2020, so two and a half years ago, I went out and publicly said, at that time I was in Honeywell Quantum Solutions, I said we were going to release in three months the highest quantum volume quantum computer at that point, which was a quantum volume of 64. And I said that in addition to releasing it at that point at 64, we were going to have an order of magnitude. So a tenfold improvement in our quantum volume every year for the next five years. Now, when I said that, that was very bold. I'll admit I was leaning a little bit forward across my skis. Um, but that is exactly what we've demonstrated. And so the, the quantum volume record of 8192 is actually our seventh record of achieving that quantum volume increase. And we have, we actually made a infographic to showcase that, hey, this is the 10X line. And we have been on that line every step of the way for the last two and a half years. So kind of a Moore's law of uh, quantum volume on some level. Yeah. Exponential and improvement. I mean, the reason I would say that's not going to continue that way is that there is a time where quantum volume as a benchmark will fall off. I don't know what that time is. 
and the industry will come up with other benchmarks and we're completely happy to evaluate that as an industry. But for right now, it certainly is one where I think we can all collectively look at it and say that demonstration of improvement really does come with a demonstration of capability that our customers get to have the benefit of. Yeah. Well, congratulations on that milestone for sure. I want to learn more about the portfolio. So uh, in preparing for our conversation, I read that one of your main offerings is in Quanto, which is focused on chemistry and pharma. I think you guys um, maybe first introduced it at Q2B last year, but it seems at a meta level, there's an increased focus uh, in the quantum computing space on vertical specific solutions. Um, so tell me, you know, why you decided on this particular vertical and wondering, you know, ancillary question is, did the pandemic influence this decision at all? Or was it in the works before that strategy to focus on chemistry and pharma? No, we've actually been thinking about this for a very long time. In fact, I think it was a famous physicist, Richard Feynman, that said, if you really want to model a quantum system, you're going to need a quantum computer to do it. I'm I'm paraphrasing, but but that was kind of the, the takeaway. And we absolutely believe in that philosophically, which is, you know, at some point, these quantum computers will get to a size and capability where you can start to model what is essentially a quantum um, environment. And that could be a molecule for a life-saving drug. It could be a molecule that is a new material for sequestration of carbon. It could be a molecule that is a new new substrate for batteries that would be much more high energy density. These are going to be really big things. And, and how do you train people who are computational chemists to use these tools that are going to be available to them? That was the genesis of Enquanto. In fact, Enquanto is one of my favorite product stories I think I've ever seen in any of my uh, business dealings. And that is, we made it as a tool for ourselves. So we were developing, we were, had these projects with big pharma companies, with big chemical companies, with big material science companies. And in order to do that project, which was really how do you make these algorithms that are going to look at these new, these new molecules, we had to build our own internal tool. And it turned out that the same tool that was valuable for the pharma project was valuable for the materials project. And it was also valuable for the chemicals project. And so we started just adding more to it, adding more to it. Then our customers started seeing us using it and saying, hey, what is that? Can I, can I have access to that? And so we shared it with them and we got their feedback and then we incorporated their feedback into it. And then at some point you asked the two questions you should always ask before you launch a product, which is, do you find this valuable and would you pay for it? And when the two answers came back, yes and yes, that was that was in Quanto. So we released in Quanto as a kind of our version 1.0 in May of this year. And the intent of it is if you are a computational chemist, and that might be two people in a really big company, you know, it could be automotive companies like a BMW, it could be pharma companies like a, like an AbbVie, it could be chemicals companies like Honeywell as part of it. If you are a computational chemist and your tool set today has just been classical computers, this new tool allows you to chunk your problems 
into fragments where you can then test out parts of it on quantum computers. And importantly, you can do it on quantum computers that exist today. We're not saying that we have created something that you know surpasses what classical computers can do. That's not the point. The point is giving a software toolkit to people who have never had this in their tool belt to be able to say, here's how you start thinking about your problem in a quantum computing way. And then here's how you break it down where you can actually run it on quantum computers. And then as these quantum computers, including our H series, are scaling in terms of higher and higher levels of capability, it starts to tell you, when is this going to be applicable to you and your company and your work? Yeah, and that's, that's what has been really valuable. Yeah. I want to ask you one more question about the portfolio, right? As all quantum watchers know, right? In July, NIST finally announced the first four quantum-resistant cryptographic algorithms. So I know Continuum has a, an offering called Quantum Origin, um, and I wondered, you know, how that's going to align with their recommendations or what your take is, how that how that offering might be aligned with their recommendations or... Yeah, I, one, I'll, I'll step a little bit back and say part of the whole thesis of coming together as Quantinuum was actually around quantum origin. And there was a profound moment that happened last year. Now, in, in 2021, we, when we launched Quantum Origin, we actually launched the first product that is really valuable today that can only be done using a quantum computer. And the, the big aha moment is for everybody who's saying, oh, quantum computers are a decade away or two decades, it's like, no, <laughs> they're right now. And, and it's, it's, what's incredible around this is the change of mindset that has to go along with it. It's not that you can't simulate what we've done on our quantum computer. You absolutely can. What you can't do when you simulate is actually create a superposition in the classical computer. You can't entangle anything in the classical computer. And for some reason, people forget that when you're simulating, that that's not happening. Because you can do the math. It doesn't actually do that quantum mechanical thing, that quantum physics thing. And in this particular case, we take advantage of that quantum physics thing. So quantum origin is a protocol that we have patented and developed that uses our own H-series quantum computer to generate quantum computing enhanced encryption keys. These are keys where they are provably patternless. So what we would call technically provably non-deterministic, meaning doesn't matter how much data you collect on it, there was no method that was available to determine how that was ever created. And so they become this foundational tool for cybersecurity. And they're available right now. In fact, we have a customer called PureVPN that uses quantum origin keys in their service to protect their customers. Now, the, what you mentioned about NIST is incredibly important because, and I, I will be simplifying here, but the way I kind of describe it is there's a key and there's a lock. Now, in this case, the lock is the algorithm. It could be RSA, it could be AES, that's, that's typically what is used today. But in the case of what NIST just announced, for example, the Crystals Kyber, that is a post-quantum algorithm. So think about that as that's a new lock. And our key is designed to fit in that lock. 
just like our key is designed to fit in current RSA lock. So it is a, it's a product offering that's available now that has generated immense interest because you can take advantage of it today and it's future-proofed as you roll out your new suite of algorithms that you're going to want to have from this kind of, let's call it quantum-proof uh, environment. Yeah. So you mentioned a customer. I want to move to the perennial, what I call the $64,000 question. For those of you who don't know, that was a quiz show on TV in the 60s. Um, but the question being clients, right? So I read that Continuum has numerous collaborations underway with major companies from every industry. Verticals called out include uh, automotive, pharma, energy, chemical, finance, transport, freight, metals and mining, semiconductors, to name just a few. I pulled these from the website. Um, can you pick a couple of clients and describe to our listeners you know, what kinds of solutions you're developing with them? Maybe you talked a little bit about the quantum origin uh, re relationship, but uh, any other interesting examples that our listeners uh, should know about? Yeah, I mean, there's there's some just fabulous relationships that we have been able to to build and foster over time. Uh, J.P. Morgan Chase, I think, is a great one. You know, you, you think about this large global financial services company, and they have dozens and dozens of people inside the company who are quantum computing experts. Experts. You know, typically as Quantinuum, not only are we multiple times the size of other competitors within the overall quantum computing landscape, most of the time we have about a hundred times the number of quantum computing experts as our customers. Maybe Morgan Chase is, is an exception to that. They have a, a fabulous team and what they have done over the course of time, you know, with interacting with us and using our H series quantum computers is really focus on those use cases that matter most to them. So, portfolio optimization, things like, uh, in fact, they, they did a, a paper when we did our upgrade to 20 qubits that was looking at natural language processing because, you know, being able to quickly figure out what's in these contracts that a company like JP Morgan Chase would have is, is of critical importance to them. Uh, looking at things like future fraud detection, areas where not only do they look at it in terms of how profoundly this could impact their business, but how fast can they take advantage of this technology and put it into their business processes? And that's where across multiple different industries, that's where we're kind of seeing this, this forward leaning approach, which is companies know both because they have their own experts, but because of, of the interaction that they've had with us, where we believe we are in this timeline. You know, and there are conversations we'll have where we say that particular use case, we all collectively believe is a decade away, whereas a different use case we think might be the next three to five years. And if you're a really large company that understands how long it takes to put business practices in place, a three-year time horizon is nothing. You actually really do have to start thinking about what changes are you going to make to your systems? to your processes, to the tools, maybe even to your people, your personnel, to allow yourselves to take advantage of this. And so we see companies like J.P. Morgan Chase doing that. We see companies like JSR um, out of Japan looking at, you know, being a supplier to the, to the semiconductor industry as, as being a leader in the space. Uh, work that we've done with Roche in looking at things like Alzheimer's 
uh, research uh, work that we've done with companies like DHL on things like logistics that are going to be important, obviously, to, to taking advantage of anything around optimization. Um, th- these, are, these are really meaty pieces that are going to be incredibly important to these companies over time. And of course, one of our absolute, you know, kind of, I'll say customer zeros in this is Honeywell. You know, Honeywell is a large, um, is a shareholder certainly of Quantinuum, but they're also a big customer of ours because they're in areas like aerospace and process solutions where you can think about taking advantage of quantum computing at its earliest opportunity to be able to then integrate it into these future offerings. Yeah, again, you're uniquely positioned for to deliver value and be successful. It's very exciting. I, I would say we're very, yes, very fortunate to be positioned yeah. with the, yeah. the capabilities we have. So, Tony, I want to move to a topic that's near and dear to my heart, which is workforce. And you mentioned talent earlier in our conversation, but I want to get your take on the challenges facing a company like Continuum in finding talent in you know, how you go about recruiting, do you have affiliations with universities, um, there, and more broadly, are there specific roles uh, in specific disciplines that are harder to fill than others? Sure. I, I definitely appreciate the question because it is something I say inside of our company and outside of our company is it's all people. That's, that's why we're valuable is because of the talent that we have. We haven't gotten far enough as a company as a as a time frame yet where there's some IP or some hardware that is the m- most critical thing. It is absolutely the people that are the most critical. Uh, I would also start to, by saying, as a reminder, we have nine locations in four different countries right now. So we have offices in Tokyo, in Munich, Germany. We have four locations in the UK, including Cambridge, Oxford and two in London. We have three locations in the United States, uh, in Colorado, in Minnesota, and in the the DC area. And so when we hire, we are hiring globally. And and that is a fabulous position to be in as Quantinuum, right? Because this is a global talent pool and we have to be able to tap into that global talent pool. Um, And when we do, we are looking for every discipline technically and every function so you know to get to be 500 people we have experts in it and uh security physical security we have experts in hr we have experts in contracts in procurement we have experts in finance you know and so we have to have that to be able to operate at scale and of course we then have phd physicists and phd chemists and we have optomechanical engineers and electrical engineers and computer scientists. Um, we have theorists. We have a fabulous physics theory team that is uh, kind of a foundational part of how we how we do what we do, both from a hardware standpoint and from a software standpoint. And it is bringing all of that together that allows us to be this successful. It, it really has been an incredible setup. That kind of translates to... Do we have affiliations with universities? Many, many, including many globally, right? You can imagine universities in Germany, in the UK, in Japan, in the US, really around the world that we're we're having these interactions with both because we're doing joint collaborations 
we look at it as a pipeline, and we are evangelists for the space. In fact, there's a there's a open source part of our offering. It's called Ticket, T-K-E-T. And what Ticket does is if you're a if you're a developer, if you want to get into quantum computing and you're thinking about how do I write a quantum algorithm, what Ticket does is it helps optimize that algorithm. So it, it shrinks it to use the fewest resources that it needs to be able to run on these systems. And it makes it portable, meaning it's designed to run on everybody's hardware, our H series, but IBM and INQ and Rigetti and Google, you name it. It's already been designed to make it portable. And we're in the kind of 650,000 download range at this point. Uh, and many of those downloads are in institutions where there's like dozens of users using it. And so we believe we're already over a million users. And by the way, if you would have asked me a year ago, would we have a million people out there in the world doing things right now for quantum computing? I would have said absolutely no. There's no way. But here we are. It, it's incredible. And, and people are just, they look at this technology and they go, boy, this is going to be the future. You know, and, you know, can, how do we create a quantum native world where, you know, you, you have this kind of intuitive sense for this really unintuitive technology. And part of it is just experimenting, you know, getting your hands on software, open source software like Ticket and just doing it. And uh, we just found that to be fabulous. Well, no, thank you for mentioning Ticket to our listeners, for sure. Everyone should be aware of that. And congrats on the impressive download numbers. My goodness. Very, very exciting. Tony, I'd like to end the podcast by um, asking you to sort of look into your crystal ball. Now, you're involved, obviously, day to day in, um, you know, running this company. But I want to get your sort of philosophical perspective, if you will, on where you think quantum computing might be in maybe three to five years, and then maybe what kind of impact you think it's going to have more broadly on how we live and work. What's your take? Yeah, I love this part too. Um, I'm going to start with the second part and work my way back to the first. And the second okay. part is we, if I've, if I've personally learned something from watching how many of these technologies have evolved, whether it be the internet or it be classical computing, I kind of go with the, the view that we have no idea what people are going <laughs> to go do with this stuff 10 years from now. And we are going to be shocked. We're going to be amazed and shocked with what they can do. And I'm, I'm so tickled to look forward to that. Uh, so, so I'll start there and work my way to, we as Quantinuum believe we are about 18 to 24 months away from demonstrating advantage, useful advantage using quantum computer. Now, is that going to be ubiquitous advantage? No. Is it going to be uh, value creating in terms of like a, a company's perspective? Maybe not. Uh, so where would we find this advantage? The, th the things that are standing out right now are things like high energy physics. Why? Because high energy physics is a quantum problem and it behaves like a quantum thing. And being able to model it on a quantum computer literally is the only opportunity to do something like that once you get to certain size problems. And and you step back from that and go, do people care? Yeah, there's a lot. I mean, look at things like CERN, right? High energy physics is a part of how our universe works. And so being able to have insights into that by using tools as sophisticated and as incredible as these quantum computers, that's going to be a big deal, a really big deal. So 
So then when does the economic stuff come into play after that? Probably in, in the three year time frame, somewhere between three and five years. I think we're going to see more demonstrations of, of quantum advantage that becomes value creating. And again, it will start in niche areas, but they'll be important niche areas. And then it will build from there. And it's hard not to look at something like the internet and go, well, shouldn't it just be ubiquitous everywhere? Well, that's not how that started either, right? Or that's not how classical computing started either. We yeah. found these use cases that may have had smaller sets of customers, but were really incredibly valuable to those smaller sets of customers. And then it expanded from there. And I think that's how we're going to see this play out again. Obviously, yeah. we've already seen the first one with quantum origin, but it is kind of like betting on human ingenuity, right? If you, if you just look at human <laughs> yeah. history, if you give incredible people access to incredible tools, they are going to find something to do with them. They really are every yeah. time. Yeah. And again, I think iterative, as you say, it's going to be, you know, there'll be kind of niche use cases that'll demonstrate value. And then there'll be learnings from that that'll be applied in other settings. Right. And Exactly. It is right. it's the creative process, right? Somebody sees something and goes, Oh, that's incredible. I could, if I applied that over here, here's what I could go do with it. That's how technology advancement works. That's how science works. So I'm excited to be a part of it. Yeah. Well, Tony, thank you so much. I really enjoyed our conversation. I want to invite people to follow you and the company on LinkedIn. I'm going to point them to the website, uh, continuum.com. Uh, you're active on social media, Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. People can follow you at, at continuumqc. And I noticed there's also a YouTube channel with lots of uh, great videos. So uh, thank you again. And I look forward to watching the growth of Continuum. My absolute pleasure. Thank you for having me. Thanks again, Tony, for joining me today. And thanks to all of you for listening. Please share this podcast on social media channels to increase the impact of my conversation with Tony. I want to mention you can learn more about our upcoming event focused on quantum cybersecurity. It's taking place in New York, October 25th through 27th. Uh, more info and uh, you can register at iqtevent.com slash fall. And I would invite you to listen to my other podcast episodes if you haven't already. And feel free to connect with me on LinkedIn. This has been a production of Inside Quantum Technology. You've been listening to the Quantum Tech Pod, brought to you by Inside Quantum Technology. For more information on this episode or other topics relating to quantum technology, visit InsideQuantumTechnology.com.